Let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts bring us closer to you, O Lord. Have you ever lost something you really treasured? Maybe you put it away carefully and can't remember where you put it. Thoughts such as, have I given it away or did I leave it to someone quickly come to my mind when I've lost something and I can't get it out of my mind until I find it if I do and it can be very frustrating. The Gospels offer many images of lost treasures, one of which is the story of the prodigal son. Luke places this story in the context of controversy. Why is Jesus welcoming tax collectors and sinners and, the, and eating with them? The parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin which immediately follow are not included in our Gospel reading today, but all three focus on the repentance of sinners. The story of the prodigal son is one that's always touched me because there's so many different elements to it that I can identify with. There are three main characters in the story. The father, the wayward son, and the perfectionist brother. There's no mention of a wife or mother, but that could well be because the woman had no status in those times and therefore wasn't working anything. Looking at the three men, who do you identify with most? The father, the wayward son, or the older brother? Having finally managed to get to Melbourne to see my daughter and her partner for over two years apart and to meet my little grandson for the first time, I can easily identify with the father who was just so glad to have a son back in the family, bold, safe and sound. The fact that the son had treated him so badly is of no consequence to the father. The love of a child is such a powerful thing that most fathers and mothers will do anything within reason to make their child's life better. In Monday morning's prayer in the New Zealand Prayer Book, the Gospel Reflection says, Would any of you who are parents give your child a letter when asked for a fish? Bad as you are, you know what to give to your children. We want the best for our children, even when it's costly to us. Perhaps you identify with the older brother, who is angry with his father for pandering to his younger brother. The older brother is a believer of tough love. Yes, welcome him back by all means, but make him work like one of the servants to pay back his inheritance and make up for the shame he's brought upon his family. This brother is bitter and resentful. He's worked hard all his life to keep his family afloat, but every year his bitterness and restfulness, resentfulness, have grown. He may have seemingly remained loyal to his father, but all the while he was feeling more and more taken for granted. I have a feeling he was also angry with himself and envious of his younger brother because he didn't have to get up and go what about the way of the son? Maybe he is the character you most identify with. He's like so many young people today, he wants excitement and adventure now. Loyalty to his father is not on his agenda. He has no intention of waiting until his father is dead to have fun 
that could be years away. It's the present that matters to the sun, not the future. Live for the moment, this is motto. He has no concern about the consequences of his actions. His behaviour towards his father is appalling. By demanding his inheritance, he assumes the initiative that belongs to his father. He treats his father as if he was dead. He ignores his obligation to his parents in their old age, and he breaks the family relationship by leaving. Most farmers would be ashamed to have raised such a son, and friends and relatives would be thanking God that they did not have such a son themselves. They would despise the son for disrespecting his father, and the father for pandering to the son's request. But this father welcomes his son with open arms. He doesn't know when he greets him, whether his son is sorry for what he's done, or even if he's just on a visit to get more money. All that matters, as far as he's concerned, is that his son, who he thought was dead, has returned to life. The tragedy of this story, it seems, is that in gaining his lost younger son, the father loses his eldest son, who refuses to join the celebration of Thanksgiving with his return. The elder son's actions suggest that he's divorced himself from his family, an act every bit as shocking as that of the younger son. The generosity lavished on the son who was lost outside the household is now extended also to the son who is lost within the household. The father does his best to reassure his older son that his younger brother's presence does not affect his love for him or his inheritance. Both are secure and always have been. The reader, that's you and I, meantime, are left wondering whether the three men will ever reconcile with one another. As we see, both sons have sinned against the father. The younger son sinned against his father by asking for his inheritance, then squandering it and living morally. The elder brother also sinned against his father by refusing his father's request to join the party and by his willful disobedience at a moment calculated to embarrass his father. He also sinned against his father by refusing to love him and to forgive his brother. This parable is a wonderful model of parental love that overcomes everything. It's an amazing picture of God's grace and love for humanity. It is especially reassuring for those who face death, wondering how God will receive them. The fact is that we are all sinners, and in the end we all return home as sinners. So Jesus' parable invites us to trust that God's goodness and mercy will be at least as great as that of a loving human father. God's grace is a gift to us all. We cannot earn it and we don't deserve it. As sinners, we find ourselves in the same position as the younger son, who is welcomed home without expectation of repentance. Sharing in God's grace requires that we join in the celebration when others are recipients of that grace also. Part of the fellowship with Christ is receiving and rejoicing with others who do not deserve our forgiveness or God's grace.
person is of such value to God that none is excluded from God's grace. So we're not able to withhold our forgiveness as did the other son. This is clearly stated in the Lord's Prayer when we pray forgive, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God's loving, forgiving love embraces one and all, but in receiving it we are required to also extend that love to others. We must forgive to be forgiven. God blesses those who are merciful, said Jesus, for they will be shown mercy. But soon that Jesus taught his disciples his own prayer, then he went on to explain my petition in it. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. When Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive, Jesus replied, 70 times 7. In other words, there's no limit to the number of times one should forgive another person. When Abraham Lincoln was asked how he was going to treat the rebellious southerners when they'd finally been defeated and had returned to the Union of the United States, this question expected that Lincoln would take vengeance upon them. But instead, I will treat them as if they had never been away. This is how God treats us. In the face of love like that, we cannot be other than lost in love, love and praise. Let us pray. We give thanks to you with God our Father for mercy that reaches out, for patience that waits our turning, and for your love that is ever ready to welcome sinners. We praise you that in Christ Jesus you meet us with grace, embrace us in acceptance, and affirm us as citizens of a forgiven universe.